I'm Carlos Race to Walk, and these are just some thoughts on a Sunday. And what I do each week is I give a weekly update about where we're at with helping some Afghan Christians on their immigration journey. And I also just share a few thoughts um, that I've had for the week. But the way I got involved with this, I always start the stream off with this because it is a little bit of a crazy story. But my friend, uh, Mark Ritchie, had been doing Bible studies via Zoom in Pakistan since 2020. And then in 2021, he uh, asked me to help him with some of those classes. And um, about that same time, there were some um, African Christians that had come into his uh, classes through some of the Pakistani pastors that he was working with. And um, so one thing led to another. And um, then in 2022, when things in Pakistan got really hostile for them, uh, we started trying to find ways to help them uh, keep from being deported and also what, looking at the options for them uh, long-term for immigration. So that's the way it started. And then Mark's friend Don uh, joined and he has a ministry, Don Shire Ministries at donshireministries.org. And he agreed to help in that any donations made to his ministry, um, if you select Race to Walk, then that will go to help this uh, this group. So anyway, um, that's the way it started. And uh, it's been a, a real experience um, <laughs> learning all about this. And... Uh, it's been an education too. I realized that there were a lot of things that you generally can pay attention to so many things in life and uh, international relations was not one of the things I paid attention to. So I'm trying to do a crash course now, right now, about learning about the dynamics of what's going on with our history with Afghanistan, as well as what the heck's going on with Pakistan. Still don't quite have my head around that one. And I'm also trying to learn Persian. So. I'm working on the alphabet now. I'm a little excited because I did not, I just realized, I don't know if you've ever looked at the Arabic letters, but I just realized recently that, you know, when you look at the form of the letter itself, they don't actually stay in that form. The tail loops up when you write. And that was one of the things that I was having a hard time not recognizing the letters when I saw the words. So anyway, that was my, that was my little uh, realization of the week is how the, um, the Arabic letters work. So anyway, but on to the topic of today's stream, which is uh, titled as, do you have, does anyone want what you have? And the thought behind this is um, there have been a couple of situations uh, that have caught my attention in the past week about people who are in evangelistic efforts and the impact of that. And so the Great Commission um, in Matthew 28 is to, uh, let me see, I have a screen there, is uh, this is in verse 18. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you and be sure of this i'm with you always even to the end of the age so this is that verse is really like when you look at the the difference between the different streams in christianity that really is the um one of the found 
the foundational verses that evangelicalism is based on is that that is a belief that that is instruction direct instruction of jesus that we are to make disciples now one of the things that is um i guess kind of a hang up for us sometimes is that we look at um conversions as the equivalent of disciples which is not true um if somebody just responds to an altar call okay that's great but that's not making a disciple that's making a convert and discipleship is a lot more than that and the discipleship is learning more about god it is learning how to respond to um, god's voice and the conviction of the holy spirit it's about being transformed you know and um i shouldn't know the references first but uh do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind and so that is that's discipleship but we don't always look at discipleship as the we look at our church efforts we um, a lot of times it's about the number of baptisms or the number of members of the church and I don't think there's a lot of measurement so much in okay well what is the what is our discipleship like what is the what is the quality of the fruit of um the members right so and that's harder right because that's not it's not as easy to count so i think that that's part of the problem i think another part of the problem is um there's some beliefs in certain protestant churches that really dismiss the process of sanctification so when you combine that with this um push on numbers uh i think that's that's a problem but uh one of the things that came up this week is i came across and this is just i had been listening to i mentioned that i've been listening to generation jihad podcast like going back through starting it episode number one in March 2020 and like I'm up to like I think episode 40 now this is a, a podcast that talks about our history in Afghanistan and so they started this podcast not too long after the Doha agreement was uh, signed so that's what I've been listening to but this episode just of um, a podcast called bodies behind the bus that just started playing and it was uh, really interesting it was a story um, of a girl named Dylan and she was a missionary to a country in the Middle East she never said which one it was but with um, an organization called live dead and so she was she was explaining like how she got involved why she wanted to go um, on a trip um, on a mission trip what the organization was like and as she was explaining it, she um, she was talking about, and she goes there because she wants to witness to uh, and spread the gospel, right? A lot of her time was spent in classes and doing work for the organization rather than really interacting and engaging with and doing life with people that were in the country that she was in. But at the end of the day, um, it got to be very um, authoritarian, especially towards her. They, she was a, a young single woman. And so they treated her like she was basically like their drudge. You know, she was the, the workhorse. 
um, she said that when she they they had a very very intense schedule and um, they had to like basically record all their time. It was very um, controlling. It was a rel- very controlling situation, and she said that even when they had time off, then as a single person, she was supposed to babysit for the families so they could have a break. So she never really got a break. And the story is a lot longer, but the thing I wanted to talk about was at the end, it got to be very um, exploitative towards her. And it was so bad that it was her friends that she had made in this, this Muslim country that knew her and liked her and cared about her that told her that she needed to go home that the situation she was in was not good for her and she needed to leave and to go home so this was the witness of this missions organization that they're treating they're treating this young woman who they should be looking out for right so poorly that the Muslims in the country where they were supposedly spreading the gospel to, the good news, they're like, go home, you need to leave. That was a witness. That was a witness. So my question is, why would, as an organization, why would, if that is the message that you're giving, why would, why would you want to do that? I mean, women in, in Muslim countries already face a lot of oppression so why would they want to listen to another religion that is basically doing the same thing I mean that's that was kind of got me she said at the very end they the host asked her where she was at now she's back home and she's so kind of like working through the trauma that all of that caused you know and then it's coming back into all the craziness of the U.S. at the same time and COVID and she said I still haven't found a church where I feel safe so another very sad statement about where we're at right now in the American church so the other thing that the other circumstance that came up that um, really kind of was on the same topic so there was a a 19 year old named Marcus Schroeder that went to um, a, the story is he's arrested for preaching the gospel in Wisconsin. This video shows, this is one of the stories. There's been a bunch of stories about this. And another one, Christian warrior speaks out after arrest for reading Bible in protest of dry queen performance for kids. Okay, so here's the thing. This is, I read one of the articles about it, because anytime that, you know, people say, oh, the church is persecuted, Christians are being persecuted, it's like, okay, so this, this is what happened. There was a, um, some sort of uh, pride event in a town that this guy does not live in. He drove from outside the area, and he went to this event, and he was going up and talking to people, trying to engage them, and I don't know what all he was saying, it really wasn't details uh, in that, with people who didn't want to be engaged. And so he was asked to leave. And um, then 
I guess he was trying to engage with them, and then they started praying. And so they, he was asked to leave, and, you know, I guess he was like, oh, we're just praying. And he's like, well, you can pray outside. So he did, but then he gets a sound system, and he's broadcasting this. And then that, at that point, he's arrested. And then there's a story afterwards. He's going and speaking in front of the city council, and he's, like, preaching Galatians 5, or not Galatians 5, but just from the book of Galatians. So that's what came across my feed on Twitter. And I was like, you know, this is the thing. This is what upsets me about it. It's like, you're not being persecuted for the gospel. You're being persecuted, you're not, and you're not being persecuted. These are consequences of actions because you're going and being um, kind of a jerk, honestly. So this is the thing. Number one, he's going someplace else where he's not a member of the community, right? And so he goes into this event and he's asked to leave. Now, people are like, well, I shouldn't have to do that. This is on Twitter. I'm thinking, okay, so this is my question. I'm in Houston, Lakewood Church. I see stories about this. This actually happens pretty frequently. There are protesters that go into Lakewood. There was a story, I can't remember when this was, about six guys who from this really fundamentalist church that pretty much thinks that Joel Osteen is an antichrist or something, was going in protesting. They get asked to leave. I don't think they were arrested, but they get asked to leave. You know, they were protesting, disrupting the service, and they get removed. There have been abortion activists that have done the same thing. They're asked, they're removed. I mean, even at my church, if you go and start speaking in tongues in the service, someone will come up to you and ask you to stop. And if you don't, you're probably going to be removed. So you can't just go to somebody else's event and do whatever you want. I mean, it's like somebody coming in your house and rearranging everything. And I, you might say, oh, yeah, I have some in-laws that do that. Well, you know, it's rude. It's rude. It's like it's just a basic common courtesy. So he's going to an event that somebody else, whether you agree with them or not, somebody else, it's their event, they paid for their permit, they rented whatever facilities that they needed to do they set the guidelines that set the, you know they set the price for the tickets they decide who can be vendors there or whatever and it's their event and so you going in and bringing something in that is not what whether you agree with it or not you can't that's just again it's rude and you can't do that and i didn't think about this until this morning when i was uh just before the stream but you know it's like the thing is, I have I run events, and when you are putting together an event, you are you put in. I have a lot of expense of promoting it, of organizing it, and again, you get to say whether or not who can be a vendor there and be participating. Not like um, not necessarily so much the attendees, but as far as like who's going to be speaking, who's going to be performing, who's going to be having you know selling things there promoting things there you can decide and as an event organizer there are a lot of times that i'm just like okay i'm sorry you can't be there we have you know we just don't think this is the right fit for this event um this isn't our thing you know we just this just is not suitable you know this service is not suitable for this event it's not persecution it's our um it's just something that you are able to do as an event owner. Actually, 
when the I did the East an Easter event, we would have vendors there, and uh, this I just thought was lame. So Dan Huberty, this is the first he used to be one of our state representatives. He this is the first time he was running for state rep, and he uh, went and he was handing out flyers at the at the Easter event, and I was like, dude, you're lame. I mean, did he get a booth? Did he even ask? No, he just. We have a whole bunch of people there, so he just starts promoting himself there. That was lame. Did we say anything to him? No, we didn't. But still, that was lame. Same thing. There was a. Uh, it was in this park that's like surrounded by all these businesses. A lot of businesses were particip would participate. We're, we're coming in. We're bringing a ton of people in. You know, increasing traffic to the area. Did this? Um, did this restaurant even give us like? A gift certificate for a giveaway? No, nothing. And then they come out and they send somebody out, basically standing there, like handing out coupons to. This wasn't fence. This is a thing. Handing out coupons to attendees to get in into into <laughs> their restaurant without even, you know, they weren't. They had contributed nothing to it, and then they're taking, uh, getting attendees that could be buying from our food vendors. But whatever. I mean, it is what it is. I mean, that, they're there and they're in the space, but it was so lame. But this is what this guy is doing. He's basically deciding, okay, this is their event, and so I'm going to do whatever I want to do. No, things don't, life does not work that way. You don't get to do just whatever you want. So then he, when he goes out and he gets a sound system, again, you don't get just get to do whatever you want. And if he had been part of the community that he was doing this in, then he might know that. He didn't even live there. And he's saying, oh, well, you know, I'm, you're not getting, being arrested for preaching the gospel. You're being arrested for basically setting up your own event without permits. Even for like setting up a sound system like that, you have to have permits. You have to have sound permits. That's, you can't just do whatever you want. And I got into a discussion about this with someone on um, on Twitter, and they're like, "Well, you know, you know, the gospel can't be bound." Okay, so here's the deal. <laughs> what do you think that means? So this is this is Galatians. The guy was reading out of Galatians in the city council meeting, but this is Galatians chapter five, verses twenty-two through twenty-three. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. So he's going and he's reading Galatians to the city council. I didn't watch the whole thing, but it's like context. Context. Who was the letter of Galatians written to as well as every other letter in the New Testament? Um, believers. It was written to believers. Did Paul go out and give dictates to people who were not believers no no he did not do you, oh let's let's go to this okay so this is first corinthians chapter 5 verse 9 and read through the end of the chapter when i wrote to you before i told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin but i wasn't talking about unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin or are greedy or cheat people or worship idols you would have to leave this world to avoid people like that. I meant that you are not to associate with anyone 
who claims to be a believer yet indulges in sexual sin or is greedy or worships idols or is abusive or is a drunkard or cheats people. Ken Paxton, Dan Patrick, great, take note. Or is a drunkard. Oh, I read that already. Don't even eat with such people. No, these, these are people who claim to be Christians, but basically you see no fruit in their life. You don't see the fruit of their spirit in their life, right? And then he ends up with, it isn't my job to judge outsiders. But or it's, it isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders, but it's certainly your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning. God will judge those on the outside. But as the scriptures say, you must remove the evil, evil people from among you. So this guy is going, the people he's going to, are they believers? Probably not. They didn't want to hear it. So no, they're not believers. So is it his job to judge them? And No, according to Paul, no. He's supposed to be cleaning up inside his church. So what's his church? Is, does he have people committing adultery in his church? Does he have people that are abusing, you know, is he think his his church is clean? Okay, you know, then maybe he should be talking about that and saying how they do that rather than going into a community and among a space that doesn't want to hear him. So it goes back to the beginning of the stream. Does anyone want what you have? Do you have something? Do you do you even have evidence of something that someone wants? And if you did, then maybe the gospel wouldn't be such a hard sell for you because this is a thing. This verse in Galatians, this is the gospel. This is the good news, right? It's the fruit of the Spirit. This is the transformation that the Holy Spirit works in our lives. He makes us something that we were not before. Where we were hateful and angry, He makes us have love towards others. Where we were in depression, and sadness, he gives us joy. Where we were in chaos and confusion, he gives us peace. When we were impatient and always taking offense at the slightest thing, he gives us this patience and forbearance. Where we were harsh and cruel before, he gives us kindness. And where we were self-interested and always out for our own, um, our own interests, he brings goodness in our lives and he uh, builds faithfulness in us and gentleness and self-control. This is what he does. This, this is a transformation. And again, there's no law. This is, this is what Christianity is. This is the message of the gospel. It's the good news is what he works in us. It's not a set of doctrines that you're supposed to be proclaiming. You're supposed to be the product demonstration. That's what it is. We are supposed to be the good news. And so if somebody can't see that in your life, why would they want to listen to you? It's like going to somebody who has, who is 500 pounds and asking them what they should, what you should do for um, your health and for dieting and how to lose weight. Would you, would you ask them? Well, if they started at a thousand pounds and they're down to 500, then maybe you would. But um, if you haven't seen any evidence of a, a loss, in a weight loss in their life, would you ask them? No, you wouldn't. You wouldn't because they don't, you haven't seen that success. And so if someone can't see the change that the Holy Spirit, that the truth of, 
um, the power of the resurrection is made in your life, then what do you got? You got nothing. So the other thing is, um, what? let me see. This is a, um, this is a book of Romans. This is in chapter two. And Paul's talking about some of the same things here. It's like, you therefore have no excuse. You who pass judgment on someone, for at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself. Because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So it's not saying that there is no judgment or that there is no consequences for wrong actions. But going back to 1 Corinthians, believers are supposed to be concerned with the body of believers, right? And then you leave, leave the rest to God, right? Okay, and it said, so when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them, yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? This is what Jesus was talking about in the Judge Not passage. I have a Bible study on that. Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? So, you know, God gives us grace, and um, he shows us kindness. And that is, um, you know, I know people who are very concerned about evangelism. And again, I think part of it, um, part of our issues with, um, in the American Protestant church is that we get real hung up on, you know, that, that, uh, decision moment, right, on the altar call, and we think that, you know, we, we get handed these little tracks, like, you know, we need to, like, know how to convert somebody or lead them to salvation. So, again, it's the kindness of God that leads us to salvation, or that leads us to repentance, and it's the Holy Spirit that saves, and for me, it because I went to a private Christian school for six years, and um, they, I'm not even going to get into it, but they had that, that mindset. And so it took a little bit for me to, not a little bit, a lot. I mean, it's not like I went and did the things that they were recommending, but it took a while for me to get over feeling guilty about, um, not doing what they were recommending and realizing that their, um, recommendations weren't that great. But you just have to be ready to um, step forward in the situations where God puts you and just, you know, be ready to, uh, what is it, is it First Timothy? Always be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks the reason for the hope that is within you, but do so with gentleness and respect. And so you just have to be willing to share your story. Um, there are a lot of, um, we've talked a lot about giving a testimony in our Monday Bible studies with the Afghans. And one of the uh, people who has worked as a missionary has said that they were taught to give a 60 second t testimony. And they, he said that, you know, for him, he was very, before he came to Christ, he was very angry. And he said, now I have peace. And that is uh, for somebody who struggles with that, 
that is something you know that might attract their interest. You don't have to know the answer to every question, but you at least need to know what God's done in your life and be able and willing to share it. And if you don't know what God's done in your own life, then that is probably where you should start. Um, but going back to that 19-year-old that has obviously been given uh, some kind of weird uh, ideas about evangelism and what his responsibilities are, I would suggest going and reading this book, Boundaries. Uh, great book because he is obviously just trampling over all sorts of boundaries, just how to interact with other human beings, uh, following legal guidelines, you know, laws and codes for communities and how to operate in society just doesn't really quite seem to grasp that. So this would be my recommendation for him. But moving on from that, um, this is a reminder, like, if, if, you, if you don't, again, if you don't have the fruit of your spirit in your life, then, and don't have an acquaintance with the Holy Spirit, then um, I don't really think you can be talking to other people about, you know, you have to be able to know, like, you can't go and introduce somebody that you don't actually, to another person that you don't actually know. So if you don't know the Holy Spirit for yourself, then how can you, how can you introduce them to anyone else? So anyway, uh, just moving on from that, the, into Afghanistan news, the big uh, news this week that there was a U.S. representative, a special representative for Afghanistan that went and met with the Taliban this week. And this caused a lot of uproar because um, they, let's see, was this the first one? Yeah, this is the first one. Maybe I did this twice. They, a lot of people feel like this was giving the Taliban legitimacy. That's a whole, you know, what they were talking, they were saying, well, we stress with them that they need to, you know, respect women and protect Afghan allies. Well, that was supposedly part of the deal to the very beginning. And um, they've never done that. And so it was just giving them credibility that they don't deserve and that they haven't earned because the Taliban are terrorists and thugs. So this is something that, um, this is just happening in Pakistan this week. I think my slides are a little out of order. Maybe I'm missing some. But um, another round of uh, searches, door-to-door -door searches and arrests 500 people, 500 Afghans were deported from Pakistan this week. A lot of them were Afghan allies that were have been waiting for to have their visas processed. Um, this is was a story about a 12-year-old who. I mean, it's the situation is so dire in Afghanistan that people just have to do whatever they can to survive. And she was I guess, picking things up near the border. She's trying to help, you know, her family. And she fell under a truck and died. And um, this child labor is um, not unusual in Afghanistan. And there's stories about girls who um, uh, are dressed as boys so they can go and work in some of these different minds, but I mean, this is a reminder of how dangerous this is for children to do that type of work. And, you know, the sad thing is, 
So this is bad, right? They are in a very, very dire situation just as a country. But crazy thing is, is that we in the U.S. are um, loosening up child labor laws and child protection laws so kids, young kids can work in these kind of dangerous places. And there have been a couple stories about, you know, teens that have died in some of these factories. But we're just, you know, we're all about sold out to co corporate overlords and um, just seeing people as these tools to be used and kids in Afghanistan are doing this out of dire necessity but it's happening in the US because of corporate greed so anyway but going down to the next story there's um, quite a few stories that came out this week about the rise in suicides by women things are so horrific there and um, they just it, it just for a lot of them there's no hope and it makes it worse when you have the US and NATO allies acting like the Taliban are legitimate rulers and giving them credibility and uh, recognition it's just it's just even worse so another story it was um, about this is a, there are targeted killings taking place in Afghanistan, and usually the victims are soldiers of the previous government. And here's the thing, I've mentioned this before, that a lot of times the Taliban will go out and say that they're doing an attack on like ISIS or something like that, and they're taking out the terrorists. Again, they are the terrorists, but they, it's not true that it's actually targeting former, you know, Af members, soldiers of the Afghan Republic or officials of the Afghan Republic and they'll just say it's ISIS <laughs> it, because they have not uh, anyway um, so we're coming up on the two-year anniversary and this is a throwback to two years ago a story from August 17th in 2021 where the Taliban vows to provide safe passage to Kabul airport, airport, Biden advisor says. Okay, we saw how well that worked out, right? People being killed trying to get to the airport, attacks. This is again, the Taliban are terrorists and ducks. This is a post that was just talking about how it's just not even, uh, it's just a global failure that we are so, um, this catastrophe is going on in Afghanistan where we had you know, all the native forces there and we are now doing so little to uh, collectively, um, globally, to help the people that we had promised to stand by and that we aren't and we're just closing a blind eye and ignoring it. Um, I mentioned in a couple of other streams that the the Taliban are idiots, but they, they close beautiful parlors. So women already couldn't like take place and like take work in like marketplaces and sell things there. But up until a couple weeks ago, they could still operate beauty parlors. And so now that the Taliban have uh, decided that they have to be closed, um, there are hundreds of thousands of women who are out of work. They've lost their livelihood. So just continuing to increase um, the misery for women. I mean, it's basically 
I've said this before, it's almost illegal to be, it's basically illegal to be a woman in Afghanistan. The other thing that they did was, um, so they had, they had uh, banned women from being able to go to university. Then they banned them from being able to go out to school after the sixth grade. Now they ban them from girls from going to school after the third grade. And what I've been told by the, the kids that I, and the families that I work with, um, so I teach a Bible study on Monday with Afghan Christians, and then on Thursday there's, I meet and read with the kids of two families that are, they live in the same apartment. And so um, they, I was asking them about school in Afghanistan, and, uh, or actually I think that my, one of our translators told me this. He said that they started learning English in fourth grade. So, you know, just think about what you learn up to third grade, and they may be able to read in Persian, maybe. Um, but after that, it'd be cut off. So just think about the eight-year-olds that you know, and imagine them not having any education after that. I, I, there's one thing that I want to say about um, the the kids learning English in fourth grade. They are um, the kids that I read with. They can they may not know what some of the words mean, but when they read to me, they're, they haven't ever come across an English word that they can't pronounce. They learned phonetically and they can sound out and read pretty much anything I put in front of them. Um, obviously, English is a word language and so some of the pronunciations sometimes aren't always, I feel like I'll have to correct it because, you know, English is weird, but um, they, true story, I mean, they can sound out words better than most kids that I see in our schools here because we don't do phonics. We do full language learning, which is a whole other issue. But they uh, really actually been really impressed with um, their English level. I mean, the English levels that they have because like the, the kids I've been working with, we started this early this year, but they hadn't been in school since um, they were, since the pandemic started. And for the 10 year old, I mean, she had probably just had just started English. So um, when COVID hit. So that's really been uh, whatever the Afghan teachers were, how they were teaching English, they had, they were doing it really well as far as um, being able to uh, handle how English works and uh, sounds, uh, just sounding it out, you probably bring some of them here and teach some of our people here that don't know how to sound out a word. It's a true story. I had kids in my class, in my Sunday school class, because I taught eight-year-olds, and there were, I had a whole table of them that didn't know what a syllable was. This is literally, I think I've told this before, this is the craziest thing to me. So we were telling, we are trying to help help them learn the uh, books of the New Testament, and we were not asking them to read it to us. We would just say the, say the word, like say the book, name of the book, and then have them repeat it. So they could not even say, like Thessalonians, these multi-syllable words, Philippians. They couldn't even repeat them to us. It was just really crazy. I'm like, do you guys, do you know what a syllable is? 
because, and then I like would write, I wrote out the word and then broke it out and like, okay, a syllable is a sound, make a clap, you know, and, and I'm not, you know, I, my background is business, but I always felt like I had to learn how to teach remedial reading just to do some of these activities in the Sunday school class. But the, the thing was when I, um, it's so frustrating to me that we don't learn, teach our kids with phonics because all of all the research shows that that is the way to teach reading. It actually activates parts of the brain that advanced reader use, readers use, and so it trains you to be a good reader. And um, we, there was this one girl, and you can just tell, like even at eight, you can kids get their. You can see how their identity is already being shaped by how people respond to them. And there was this one girl, I could tell that she thought like she was a dumb, funny girl. And she would never really try to do things. But I, when I was showing her how, all I did was show, show her what a syllable was and how these big, long words, how they broke down into sounds. And then after that, we went through the, the books of the New Testament again. And I am not kidding you. She had she had the entire New Testament writ, uh, books of the New Testament memorized in five minutes. It's five minutes. It's just like she hadn't been taught well, and so she thought it was her, and it wasn't. It wasn't her. So anyway, but going back to Afghan girls, this is just basically um, condemning them to a life of poverty and restriction because. They can't even a third grade education. What what hope is for them? Even if they move somewhere else, if they only have a third grade ed education, how can you possibly catch up after that? Even just saying later in life, they were able to get a way out. Anyway, years lost. Okay, moving on. Um, this is a comment by Beth Bailey. She's just, you know, talking about the ridiculousness of you know, the claim that, you know, we're supposedly in talks with the Taliban. I mean, why? Why are we even in talks with them? They've made it clear what they intend to do. They've made it very clear that they don't care what we say. Uh, they make, they've made it very clear that they think they can do whatever they want. So why are we even doing this? Uh, this is another story about uh, an article that talking about the plight of women, Afghan women that are in prison. I mean, Afghan prisons are not good for anyone and they, the women especially, experience a lot of abuse. Um, this is just a list of all of the things that the, uh, I'm trying to figure out how to make this larger, my screen larger, but, oh shoot, I went to the wrong one. But they've, it, it, Afghan, it, they send this special representative. I, I hope the State Department takes note of this. So they send this special representative in for discussions with the Afghans or, or with the Taliban to tell them that they need to loosen up restrictions on women, right? This just happens. And then immediately after that, they say, okay, we're not going to let girls go to school after third grade. It's a basically screw you 
we'll do whatever we want to do. That's exactly what they're doing. So quit giving them the courtesy of treating them like they're civil human beings that can be reasoned with and are supposed to be these, these uh, leaders. They're not. They're terrorists and thugs. So quit treating them as anything else. So women, they can't work. They can't go anywhere without a male relative. They can't go anywhere. So they, they are just like, <laughs> they're blocked in on every, every side and it continues to get worse. Every, every week it continues to get worse. Um, this is a, this is actually a video. So I have, when I, after the live stream in the next day or so, I put, publish it on my website at racetowalk.org with links to all of the, um, the tweets that I'm uh, showing on screen as well as um, articles and this this tweet actually is linked to a video of someone who is showing the Taliban shooting people in the streets and their former Afghan allies. And so this is a the thing. They suppo Supposedly, the agreement was with the U.S. is that they would allow, the Taliban would allow anyone who wanted to leave, to leave, and that the, the Afghan allies would be given safety. That's a complete, it's not happened at all. At all. Actually, This week, there was somebody that I hadn't hadn't heard from, um, and I was just about getting ready to send them a message. It's somebody that has um, helped us in different areas and has given me some advanced notification of certain things. And his visa had, because he's in Pakistan waiting for his SIV application to be processed. And his visa that he was there on expired. And so I've explained before that if they can't get a visa extended, they have to uh, go back to Afghan file an exit permit and go back to Afghanistan and get a new visa. And that's what he had to do. He had to exit Pakistan. He was in hiding in Afghanistan. And this is somebody who has connections and that can get visas. Like, it's very, very difficult <laughs> to get visas. So... Anyway, he had to go back to Afghanistan and he was in hiding for 10 days and he said he had to escape the Taliban at the border. He said at one point he had to hide in a rain barrel to, um, he had some contacts that helped him hide. And I said, do you think that there was, that Pakistan gave them, gave the Taliban a heads up that you were coming back to the country? And he said that he thought that they did. So this, this is a situation, almost at two years, this is a situation that we've put our allies this is another story about um, a the Taliban torturing a child because his family w was part of the uh, former Afghan government. And uh, why am I sharing all this? I, I I'm sharing all this because I wanted to be clear exactly who the Taliban are. That when the State Department and the U.S. puts out these propaganda puff pieces about how that the Taliban are our allies in counterterrorism as a complete and total lie that they themselves are the terrorists. That was one of the things that came out, I don't know, it was this week or last week. Some U.S. spokesperson said, oh, 
terrorist threats have gone down and terrorist attacks have gone down, who's doing the reporting? What kind of reports do you think you have when the terrorists themselves are in charge, please? But anyway, this is why I'm sharing it. So it's clear, Ta Taliban are terrorists and thugs. So this is, um, this right one, no. So there's a, I've mentioned this a couple times before, there's a special commission uh, that is in charge of overseeing, basically do, providing oversight on the U.S. efforts in Afghanistan, and it is the um, Special Inspector General for Afghanistan Reconstruction, and the acronym is SIGR. And so they're saying they put out tweets on a regular basis. They do quarterly reports to Congress. And when I when I'm talking about these things, this is the thing: none of this stuff is new. They know this. So when you see like Republicans in Congress doing all these special hearings on, you know, Afghanistan or investigations, they're just, they're just posturing. There's no confusion about it at all. There's no confusion about what went on. We already, we already know what happened. They just, they're just putting on a show. There's no confusion about what happened. There's no confusion. So, you know, there's, that Sigur is, uh, is talking about how the processing of the um, SIV applications is super slow because they have you know, antiquated IT systems and inadequate um, interdisciplinary, like interagency uh, uh, coordination, which is, it's like, it's just a complete goat rodeo. That's what it seems like to me. So this is the same guy that had to go back to Afghanistan. I was asking him because I had sent a, um, I gone into my congressperson's office and asked them to do a follow-up just to see where his SIV application was. And I asked him if he had gotten any feedback from them or any response. And he did get an email on July 6th saying that his his uh, application was at COM approval. So let me see. Let me find it. I'll show you. I have a... Where is it? So this is the SIV application process. Comma approval here is step one. That's step one. Step one. So his application is in comma approval. So he had, they just finally got all of their, reviewed all of the information that he submitted. And I said, well, what about your other people? Because he was a head of an, uh, an organization that provided um, logistical support to uh, U.S. and NATO allies. And the thing is that we basically, um, we pulled out in, most of our troops came out in 2013, 2014. So our operations that were going on there was really, uh, we did that. We were able to do that because of um, our partners in Afghanistan. So, um, where did it go now? So anyway, I asked about that. He said, well, I have four people. That's what happens when it goes to comm approval. Then, so th before it gets to comm approval, which is with the State Department, 
they ha they submit all their information, and there's a uh, there's a vetting process of the documents that are being submitted with the applications, and that my understanding is that's been contracted to third parties, and um, then it goes to com approval for review. And while it's at com approval, they have they will verify uh, and confirm with the U.S. supervisor um, for that application. So whoever they worked with that was a U.S. citizen, the senior most official, they will call them and ask them to review that can confirm that this person worked for them. And so it's a, it's a physical contact. And I've mentioned that before is that as part of the problem is that there are a lot of people who they, they can't get a hold of their their um a supervisor that was with the u.s and so they're kind of out of luck so anyway he said that four of his employees his supervisor four of his employees were um they got a call for to confirm their their employment or their service i was like oh that's great you know four people that's awesome i mean i know he has a lot but that's awesome. And he said, well, yeah, but 12 of them were denied. And I said, why was that? He said that they said that the recommendation letters were fake. So they had just called for four people to confirm the recommendation. So this is just at the same time. But then they, they said 12 of the letters were fake. And then there were a couple of other things like there was derogatory information or and that they didn't have uh, service, you know, adequate service or significant faithful service or something like that. And it's like, okay, so if you're saying that their work for this agency was not significant, but these other four are, that doesn't make sense. They're claiming that the same person, the same supervisor that wrote the letters for the four people that for the 12 it was fake and it didn't sound to me like they had even they had just it sounded like they had just decided that the letters were fake that they hadn't even called to confirm so i don't know what the deal with that was i don't know if their numbers are so bad and so they're trying to you know they're just speeding through it denying them so they can get some processed and make their numbers look better or something i don't know but they had 120 days to appeal I said, well, you have to send an appeal in. He said, well, no, this just still happened. We, just, we didn't know what to do. And I said, well, I would, I said, I would have your supervisor send a letter and tell them that, you know, she did write those letters and they are valid and uh, that they have provided service. Just respond to each of them. And he said, well, do you have a template? He said, I'm probably going to have to do it because she's super busy. And I was like, okay. So I just wrote something that I would say for me and I send it to him. And so they had something to work off of but this is the thing this is part of the the uh just complete incompetence of well okay i'm going to get to some of these others but part of the issue is that they're again they are understaffed but can you use a little bit of common sense like if you have an organization where i'm not sure how many people he has i think he had like 250 employees and if they're making SIV applications wouldn't it make sense to have I don't know, maybe a couple of people working through those so you could verify them all at once rather than this you know, saying, 
so you're at least familiar with the organization and the supervisor that's uh, authorizing these SIV applications? Don't you think that would make a little bit of sense? No, but it just seems like it's scattered and there's no um, coordination. It's very, very, very inefficient. Like use a little bit of common sense. Anyway, so that was that was this week, but um, they uh, they also point out that you know they have to balance uh, approving the applications as well. You know, trying to for speed, but also making sure that they properly vet and do security clearances for the people. And that's true, and I agree with that, but as one person that I was talking to pointed out, they went through that when they started working for these organizations. And so if you had people working on very sensitive projects in Afghanistan with the US military and you don't know who they are, that's a problem. So the, the whole um, scare quotes about, well, we have to be sure they're vetted, you, should have been, you really should have been doing that before you let them work on these projects to begin with. So that's really kind of a bogus argument because that happened on the front end. That happened on the front end. That's already been done. So anyway, moving on. Um, this is just a, another uh, discussion about how the, um, how slow the P1, P2 processes are. And this is a crazy thing. It's supposed to take they estimated it was going to take between 12 and 14 months for the processing of these P1, P2 applications. The P, I think it was the P2 path was just created in 2021, partially for um, situations like the Afghans are in. And it really hasn't been processed at all. But most of the uh, U.S. refugees emissions take between two and 10 years. So there's massive issues there and the problem is is that we told afghans i guess they told them that they had to be out of country out of the because they have to be considered refugees right and you can't you're not a refugee if you're in your home countries so they left because of that right they left so they could they had to be out of their home country for a year before that would be considered a um they could be considered a refugee and now they're like, okay, well, you know, who knows? They haven't, doesn't even look to me like they've been begun to be processed. We do have, I have heard, a, this is the thing, it's hard to know if it's true or not. I've heard people say, people have told me that some people are getting letters to find out where they're at to schedule interviews. But sometimes things I hear aren't always true. There's hope that, that it's coming soon, but I don't know that I've, I don't, I haven't heard of any actual interviews. And this is um, another update by Sigur. I was saying that overall it was the whole withdrawal and handling of the, um, the uh, SIV applications is in a short staff, P1, P2, is all of it is just a lack of poor planning. And I know that there are, um, Afghans who listen to this, and I will just say that this is, uh, you have a right to be frustrated with the lack of urgency that the U.S. 
is has towards fixing the problem and processing the applications. But our immigration system has been, the U.S. immigration system has been a mess for a long time. It's not just about processing um, Afghan applications. We're just we're just a mess. Um, it's very we have all this whole stack of a mess of laws and things get changed and it's just all these different agencies and there's really not it's just messy it's messy and it's inefficient also on top of that the year of the drawout was we had just had a um insurre attempted insurrection we had a former president that tried to overthrow the government when he was still in office, he caused, tried to seed as much chaos as possible. We were in the middle of a historic pandemic. He had not prepared for distribution. Trump had not prepared for distribution for the vaccines at all. And so there were a lot of things, a lot of fires, a lot of bonfires that were going on at the same time. And I'm not saying this is an excuse at all. Because obviously, what happened in Afghanistan with the withdrawal is inexcusable. I'm just saying that it's that's what was going on. That's an explanation for it. It's not an excuse. So part of it is um, there was a lot going on then. And could we have done better? We could have done a whole heck of a lot better. But I also think that... Um, Part of it is we don't like to think that we didn't do a good job. <laughs> we didn't. We didn't do a good job. We have to admit that we didn't do a good job, and we have to admit that there are some things in our uh, government that need some dramatic overhauling. And unfortunately, um, part of that is uh, requires Congress to be on board with fixing some of those things, and um, we just have a lot of people representing us that are only concerned with themselves and aren't concerned with the responsibility that they've been elected to handle. So um, it's not just you. They're not concerned about Americans either. So anyway, moving on. Okay. Uh, this is interesting. I'd never, this is another update from Sigrun. and they were just saying that there's very few women it's that are um, represented in SIV applications. There are, uh, going on to the next update, there are more women that are represented in the P1, P2 applications, but again, those haven't been processed. So even in the immigration applications, there's a severe gender discrimination against um, women in uh, getting out of the situation they're the ones that are most are at risk so i mean literally like i said it's pretty much illegal to be a uh, woman in afghanistan and um there are this is just an update about how and i had i guess i still need to remember this i had read before that trump basically slashed you know just gutted our immigration system like staff to process so again that's part of part of the reason not only is our system as a whole a mess but what we had was gutted under trump and uh this is just 
you know, updated. Like these are what the the offices were. You know, like th this is what our um it went down from. I think it was like down from 352 to 189 um, people that were processing all these applications in USCIS and uh, in the refugee admissions. And uh, now it's up to, uh, it's it increased a little bit, but we're still, you know, understaffed by 24%. So we have a situation where our, the staffing was gutted for refugee admissions, but the need exponentially explodes. And so that's a little bit about what's going on too. So going back to, that's all my Afghanistan updates and all my updates for Sigur, but if you want to read the um, full text of the tweet threads as well as or the report that they link to. If you go to my website, racetowalk.org, I'll have a, an article up with this live stream with links to all of those. But back to the US and what our wonderful, please note the sarcasm in that, that word, but um, governor is doing. So the, uh, I guess at the Texas border, they're separating families again at the border. And this is one of the things I wanted to mention. The, this is going back to getting visas for them to get to Pakistan. This reminds me of what Pakistan does, is separating families. So with Pakistan, this has happened to several of our families. The, they have to go, again, they have to have valid visas to be in Pakistan, whether it's a tourist visa or a family visa or a medical visa. And medical visas, you know, you may be able to come for a short period of time, but they're a complete nightmare to get renewed or extended. I have a, still working on editing a video on the sound of freedom where I'm talking about, uh, I mentioned uh, Operation Underground Railroads, just uh, really what they did and with that their Afghanistan rescue, which is really not that much of a rescue. They got the medical visas, it couldn't, you know, you can't, you can't renew them, so, or it's difficult to renew them. But anyway, what they'll do is like a family will apply for visas and they'll maybe only, Pakistan will maybe only approve like one or two. Can you believe that? I mean, that's like literally one of the most sadistic things you can possibly do. We have a lady that was a, um, she has an opportunity for a asylum with Sweden because she's worked with them before. And, uh, but she had to have a valid Pakistan visa. Oh, I wish you could. I don't know. Anyway, um, she had to, they had to have valid visas for Pakistan in order for Sweden to get them out and give them asylum. And that had happened to her. Like they had applied when we did our whole big group of visas. Her husband's visa was approved for Pakistan. I don't know if her kids were, but hers wasn't. So she sent me a message. I didn't even know this. She, she went back to Afghanistan, applied for a new visa, and it was denied. I'm like, holy crap. I mean, can you imagine that? I mean, it's just, it's so, uh, so sadistic. And this is, this is what we're doing. We're separating families at the border, too. And what's the point of that? I mean, it's just, they're in a precarious situation 
as it is, and then you're going and separating families. And then this is just super disturbing. Do not tell me. I mean, this is literally like something the Taliban would do. The that buoy border uh, across the Rio Grande, they so they have in in the river they had traps, a barbed wire, and then in between those buoys, there's like little saws, like saw blades in between them. They found two bodies stuck on those buoys in the past week. <laughs> Can you believe this? Anyway, uh, so that's the news. That's the news for this week. And what else have we been doing? I don't know. I've just been um, sending emails. Uh, I have another effort that I've been sending emails to people to get some help on. So just hoping I start getting some responses. It kind of seems like I go through through um, there's spurts. Like at one point I'll get, I'll send emails, I won't get any responses, and then all the responses will come at once. So anyway, I hope I go through another time period where I start to get responses to things. So anyway, we have, it seems like we have, we do have some movement. Um, we have, I, in our Bible study this morning, like I said, the, uh, some of the Afghans zoom in and join in on my Bible study at church. And then afterwards we have a little chat. And uh, one of the, one of the people said that he got a call from UNHCR and um, he's going to be going in for his fourth interview. So I'm really, really hoping that means that he can get a certification. It'd be really amazing. I'm hoping that he can get a referral. That would be really amazing. So that's what we're hoping for. But anyway, uh, that's enough for this week. And uh, thanks for watching. I hope you have a great week coming up and that you're able to do some good. See you next time.